This week, Larry brings us a technical segment called Apple AirTag Detection and Simulation. We learn all about Apple AirTags. In the security news, FreeBSD and the software supply chain, open source implies that it's open. Hard-coded passwords are always bad. On again, off again, on again. Privilege escalation defined. Preparing for quantum so many vulnerabilities, Cosmic Strand, another UEFI firmware rootkit, and reviving ancient computers, all that and more, on this episode of Paul Security Weekly. This is Security Weekly, for security professionals, by security professionals. Broadcasting live from G-Unit Studios in Rhode Island, it's the show where exploits run wild, packets aren't the only things getting sniffed, and the cocktails flow steady. It's Paul's Security Weekly. If your websites conduct transactions or collect sensitive data, you have a material risk on your hands that could cost millions. The client-side security gap is being exploited daily with attacks like digital skimming, credential harvesting, and form jacking. 98% of sites use first and third-party JavaScript to power and enhance the user experience, opening up the client side to the adversary. Unlike most things in security, there is an easy fix. Start by understanding your risk. Let Source Defense give you a site-wide risk report this week. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash source defense. Every hack follows the same pattern. First, hackers exploit a human error, like a leaked key or a secret left in code. They gain a foothold and then pivot, moving from one compromised system to the next. Teleport breaks this cycle. Open source teleport gives every engineer, every piece of hardware, every application an identity, replacing secrets like passwords and keys with auto-expiring identity-based certificates. Learn why most visionary businesses in the world choose teleport at securityweekly.com forward slash teleport. And welcome to the show. But first, let me introduce you to a man. You better hide your partner and hide your Sharpies because he's bound to give every one of them a smile on their face for the morning. Mr. Paul Asadoria. Welcome, everyone, to Paul's Security Weekly. It's episode number 749, recorded on July 27th, 2022, right here in G-Unit Studios in Rhode Island. To my left, Mr. Larry Pesce. Howdy. The man, two, on, man? the man with two laptops tonight. You could get rocking the double laptops. Yep. You couldn't get your Mac on the display, could you? On the- it's, a, it's a Mac. It should just work. <laughs> Except when it doesn't. <laughs> Except when it doesn't. <laughs> and then your hands are tied to try to fix it. And that's where we were. Every other machine in the studio works except for mine. Right. Even my Linux Even- laptop worked, which is, that's usually not the Never case. case. Never the case. It did, though. Mr. Josh Marpet is on the lines remotely. Josh, welcome. <clears throat> Pleasure to be here, as always. Oh, there he is! There he is! Whoa, fantastic! Pleasure to be here, as always. Yes. Uh, there you go. That's <laughs> thank you for doing that again, Mr. Tyler Robinson is here with us. Tyler, welcome. <laughs> as always, it's a pleasure to have Josh here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and that is it an awesome is. shirt, Tyler. I love. Yeah, I think that's the second time you've worn that that shirt on yes. the show. Yeah. Yes, it's first my time favorite. I've seen it. That's it's awesome. awesome, and he hasn't washed it. It's amazing. Uh, it's a oh, good I- thing he's remote. It's <laughs> vintage. Mr. Lee Neely is here with us. Lee, welcome. Ah, good to be here. It seems like forever since I've seen y'all, so it's uh, let's have a fun time. Speaking of vintage, the shirt that Lee's wearing, not Lee. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, that's vintage for sure. <laughs> yep. But yeah. you know, but you know what? The yeah, best. You mean Lee is vintage. The best, the best, the best part yes. about that is it's not vintage enough to have the Security Weekly logo printed on the wrong side of the shirt. That's right. 
And we printed the logo on pants. Remember that? Yep. <laughs> it was part of a whole ensemble. Okay. It was. It was. Was it as bad as Adrian Sanabria's underwear that he, that he printed up? <laughs> no, it wasn't that bad. No. no. Okay. Uh, just a quick announcement. If you like the show and wouldn't mind going into your favorite podcast catcher and giving us a rating, we would be eternally grateful. Many of you have been listening to the show for, for quite a while and may not have gone back and done that in quite some time. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and others have ways to rank podcasts. Getting those rankings in those ecosystems really helps our show. So thank you all very much uh, for going ahead and doing that. We really do appreciate it. Now, Mr. Larry Pesce will present to us Apple AirTags. I kind of left it generic. Yep. I didn't call it hacking Apple AirTags. Good. Understanding yep. uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly about Apple AirTags. I wonder how many presentations in security have started with the good, the bad, and the ugly. <laughs> a lot. A lot. A lot. Yeah, so for this particular one, uh, we are definitely going to cover some doing some AirTag detection and simulation towards the end, but we want to sort of talk about what AirTags are all about and, and, and those types of things, sort of understand the technology and how we can start going about doing that detection and simulation, and then sort of leave an exercise onto the reader to take some of the basic tools, and we'll talk about some of those, and build something better and taking the, the knowledge that we learn from sort of this to be able to build something larger scale and, and so forth. And we'll even talk about some larger scale stuff and some some pretty interesting hackery that has gone on within the last two weeks or so with some of these AirTag stuff. Yeah, my, my wife air tagged all of our dogs. <clears throat> yep. So this is, this is very pertinent to my interest because like, oh, I really want to hack those things and just haven't gotten around to it. So... Larry, you've spent some time with them, I have. and I'm uh, very anxious to see what you have uncovered. Because they beep at like seemingly random times, uh, but I know that's probably not random. Yep. Now, it, to a point, it is random. And I've had some pretty unusual experiences with my AirTag. So, for example, I have two of them here, uh, and in fact, I grabbed uh, you know, one of them out of my backpack that mm -hmm. you know I quote, travel with, and one that's been sitting on my desk and is hasn't been powered on and is unregistered and so forth. <clears throat> um just you hacker you. I know, I know. But the ironic part is, is that the one that is in my backpack is registered to my iPhone and and the find my find my network, which is shared with my family. Yet it beeps as if it has been lost and is placed on another person, and is not doesn't appear to be tied to any of my accounts. Is and that, in fact, it, one of our kids got notified that there's an AirTag following you. Yeah, is that so? Are you going to go into the purpose yeah, we're gonna, of the we're gonna oh, do, okay. we're gonna do okay. a little bit of that. I'll, I'll let you do that. So let's so let's uh what let's dig into it. What are these silly AirTag things from from Apple? Um, they, I think they run about twenty five bucks a piece. That's what I bought them at Christmas time. They had a four pack for ninety nine dollars at you know at Christmas time Black Friday sale. So um, that's a reasonable cost. Uh, they're intended to be a reasonably inexpensive um, device for uh, tracking. Things that you often might misplace. Keys, dogs, mm -hmm. kids, mm -hmm. backpacks, uh, and, and so forth. And and something that you might like to know where they are. You could not do that with a with a spouse too. Like uh, you know, that requires some open communication with your spouse and so forth, or your significant other or your partner. Um, but put it on something that you can track and have it talk to uh, so they're also battery powered and uh, water resistant. They're not waterproof, so they can be out in the rain. You can let the dogs out in the backyard to do their business when it's raining out. You could 
drop your keys in the pool and it'll be okay for a little bit, but you know, you're not going to want to submerge them and leave them there. They won't work con- constantly underwater. Okay. So you can't put them in places that, you know, you'll fit a lot of things in later, right? Right. Right. You probably, you probably okay, wouldn't want to do that. No, no. Cause that, you, you know, hopefully it's not your first time that, that you did that. So uh, the way these work is, is effectively using some radio technology to connect to the Apple iOS ecosystem. Um, and not just your device, any device in the Apple iOS ecosystem to report their location back uh, to the Apple's Find My Network. So remember when we you know, started getting some of those things with the Apple devices where you could just turn the Find My stuff? So if you put your phone down, you walked away from it, you could go to a, a Mac and log in and it would tell you exactly where the phone was. And this was great for when your phone or your laptop got stolen. If Find My was on, you could potentially provide that information to the police. And we, I know we covered a number of stories in the past about some successful recovery for those types of things. Uh, but they've expanded that Find My feature of the phone and the laptops and so forth uh, to the very small device that you can stick in a pocket on a keychain and so forth. So there isn't any location data that is specifically stored here. The location is retrieved from the devices that it is communicating with in the iOS and the Apple ecosystem that can see it and then are transmitting that back to the back end of the Find My Network. Which I find interesting because there's been a lot of stabs at this particular solution to the problem of I want to be able to find things. Yep. It Tracker and a bunch of other companies trying to do it. Tile. Tile. Yep. But I think they just didn't have enough devices everywhere. So it was only logical that Apple would go, well, crap, everyone's got an iPhone somewhere in range for more than any other company could build the infrastructure. Right. So why don't we just do it and knock everyone else out of the market and become the market leader and tracking stuff. Yep. And uh, that was, you know, so you talk about the the location and the things in the field. This was one of the similar things that Apple did um, with geolocation for their uh, their stuff, too. Uh, initially, they were getting way off, you know, whatever. But um, initially, Apple licensed their location awareness uh, from another company. And I can't remember what it was. Um, but they realized, why are we licensing this stuff? We have billions of devices in the field that have GPS, they have cellular, and they have Wi-Fi. And we can use all three of those technology coordination and report those back to Apple um, using an undocumented API call, which was then used with the tool iSniff GPS to determine location for various Wi-Fi networks and other devices on the planet. So so what you're saying is, is that Apple is happy to steal your bandwidth, your processor power, and your antennas to find other people's stuff. Absolutely. That is exactly what I'm saying. Cool. Admittedly, stealing the antennas, they're probably not, they're probably limited impact. Stealing your bandwidth nowadays, again, probably limited impact and computing power probably also limited impact, especially when we see the size of some of the text implications that come out of something like the AirTag stuff. So I'd argue it's limited and uh, I'll emphasis mine here uh, has benefits for everyone. Uh, I'm, I'm not disputing that. I'm not disputing that. Nope. No, we're, we're raising points. We're are raising they points. are they being open about the fact that they're utilizing? Like, for example, I'll give you another one. Uh, uh, Xfinity, Comcast. If you had an Xfinity uh, a fiber, mm-hmm. you know, fiber optic modem it, and a wireless modem, it would, uh, or wireless router rather, in your house, it would spin up an Xfinity yep. uh, uh, access point that any Xfinity subscriber could use. It's like, wait a minute, that, that's not for my family. That's for everybody else. Why are you using my bandwidth? And you could turn that off. Mm-hmm. 
But if you didn't know about it and didn't turn it off, you were providing bandwidth to any Xfinity subscriber that wandered by your house. Mm -hmm. so and this is a similar type of arrangement, isn't it? Uh, so that said, in it's probably it is. I'd argue it is a very similar type of arrangement, but it's probably in all of that very fine print that we uh, <laughs> that none of us actually read um, in some of our agreements when we first turn on our um, Apple or our iOS based device. So I, I really don't know what the legality of any of that type of stuff. Um, but I'm I, sure it's in the EULA. I mean, you know, exactly. the iCloud EULA prohibited you from using iCloud to create nuclear devices back in like 2015. Or so. <laughs> Yeah, exactly, exactly. No one no one knew it. <clears throat> so, ultimately, Apple claims that they have uh, these devices uh, anonymous and encrypted with privacy built in. Yeah, about that. Now, is, is, the, is the Find My Network, is that exclusive to Apple and Apple products? There's not like an SDK or development pack or things or protocols and technology you can leverage to kind of compete with inside of that space? So right now, we're going to say that it is an iOS Apple-only ecosystem. But wait, there's more. Yes. We'll, we'll, get, you know, we'll get to some of that stuff. So privacy and security built in and all that stuff. But the, what are the purpose of these things? These purpose are useful for tracking the location of your stuff or someone else's. And for that matter, it's also useful for others to track the location of your stuff or you all over the globe with global coverage with iOS devices um, for these devices to excuse me, connect to to report their location back to the find my network. So I could take my air tag, join it to my find my network and put it in your car. And then I knew where your car ended up doesn't even need to be your device in, on connecting to my stuff. It could be my AirTag connecting to your iOS devices or someone else's iOS devices while you're traveling on the highway. Okay. All right. So some things that they do do for the, um, uh, the anonymity, they do have the ability within the AirTag identifiers and some of the portions. And we'll talk a little bit about that as we, as we go through, um, there's ultimately they've changed some of the way they do some of the stuff that there is quote a short observation period uh, for quote an unknown device an unregistered device and some of the other ones um, in that they do some key rotation fairly often but if you haven't changed the keys the tracking is still possible for up to 24 hours so the one of the ways that they've you know gotten around some of these privacy things oh no you dropped it in my car and you can you can track me um they change that identifier every 24 hours so oh the identifier has changed i'm not nearby i don't know what that new identifier is now i've potentially lost the ability to track it and that may be where some of my issues end up so what are these privacy issues well you take a tag that you registered you know, one registered to say my backpack and I go and drop it into Paul's backpack over in his office over here. Uh, maybe I glue, super glue it or epoxy it to the underside of a vehicle, um, insert some other evil action for tracking someone. Um, there was reports of, uh, like a 14 year old girl who had one dropped in her bag at Disney, uh, like her shopping bag. And then she carried it all around the park into her car. And that was the terrifying part carried it to the car and then back to her resort and, and so forth. So insert your evil action for getting tracking device onto someone you want to track. Now, 
these devices will be detected by the Apple ecosystem through Bluetooth and a few other technologies we'll talk about. The problem is, is that by having it an Apple-only ecosystem, if you have an Android device, an Android device doesn't have its input into the ecosystem, and it cannot technically tell that there's an AirTag nearby that is potentially belonged to someone else that is traveling with you and is, quote, acting so as a tracking device. your iPhone will tell you that? Your iPhone will, ne- will, your iPhone will now tell you that. Now it didn't you that. used to. It didn't used to, okay. Right. But because it's Apple and it's the Find My Network, it's an Apple-only type of thing. So, so but, I mean, that's also a... On the other side of that double-edged sword, if I Apple AirTag my e-bike and someone steals it and they have an Apple device, it yep. will tell them, oh, there's a new AirTag And it's nearby. been traveling with you. And it's been traveling with you. And they go, oh, I got to search the e-bike for this AirTag and smash yes. it. But at that point, I've already probably have their location, mm-hmm. at least the, where they are right now. So, yeah. Yeah. It can work on the opposite if I'm actually using this to protect myself right. or my devices. Right. So thinking about that, there's a there's a quote from Apple that says, we take customer safety very seriously and are committed to AirTag's privacy and security. AirTag is designed with a set of proactive features to discourage unwanted tracking. At first, uh, first in the industry that both informs users of an unknown AirTag might be with them and deter bad actors from using an AirTag for nefarious purposes. If users ever feel their safety is at risk, they are encouraged to contact local law enforcement who can work with Apple to provide any available information about the unknown AirTag. But what if I'm an Android user, Larry? Well, uh, there is an app uh, in the Google Play Store called Tracker Detect, and I think there's probably a couple of others uh, now as well, and I think we feature one on later on in the slides as well. Uh, So there is an app that you can put on your Android device, but it's not baked into the underlying operating system like Find My Mm. is. So you have to knowledgefully open the app and leave it open and running in the background and give it access to Bluetooth, chewing up your battery, (laughs) running as a background process, and if you reboot your phone, you close the app, that detection goes away. Okay. Mm -hmm. So detection under Android is pretty inconsistent. Uh, We we do have uh, definite documented cases. There's a case about the Disney one. Uh, and I searched for some uh, a bunch of them, and there was a lot that didn't have a lot of hard evidence behind them. It was just a lot of, oh, we felt weird. Uh, <clears throat> but definitely there were some reports to police, um, specifically one in uh, Naugatuck, Connecticut, uh, where there was uh, some air tags used as part of uh, some domestic, uh, domestic violence, domestic stalking cases. Um, husband wanted to know where ex-wife was going or soon to be ex-wife and, and all of those types of things. And that was arguably the one that I could find the most details of. There have been a bunch that have been provided to law enforcement. And honestly, I think many of the law enforcement agencies don't necessarily have the capacity to understand what some of these, these threats mm. look like. For, now, they're still relatively new in the grand scheme of things. So I think they're probably going to get better at it. All right, so let's take a look at the technical details of these air tags. There's been a bunch of teardowns and, and so forth. So uh, this is not anything groundbreaking. Uh, but uh, it's assembled largely from commodity industry available components. Uh, specifically, uh, it does feature the Nordic NRF 52832 uh, radio chipset for Bluetooth low energy and near field communications. Uh, and then other components without. The only one that is sort of unique to uh, Apple is their uh, own U1 chip, which is used for ultra-wideband or UWB, and we'll talk about that as well. 
So specifically in the technology here, we've got three different RF techniques, three different effective radios for doing the tracking uh, for interacting with networks. We've got Bluetooth Low Energy, we've got NFC, and we've got UWB. Uh, if a device goes lost, meaning it's away from its owner's device, so my backpack away from my phone, uh, my backpack gets stolen, it is away from my phone um, for three days, it enters what's known as lost mode, in which some of the device changes. Uh, it then starts making a noise every six hours, and, Wait, or oh, if oh. movement is detected. So only after three days does it start making a noise every six hours? Automatically on its own. Automatically. Yeah. Okay. So if it goes away from your device, three days later it will start making noise every six hours or if it's moved. Mm-hmm. But that's an automatic so how, thing. So how does, how does it detect motion then? Uh, it's got some sort of uh, you know tilt sensor and those types of things. Uh, fairly common in some of the uh, system-on-a-chips type of stuff now. Some like vibration sensor or gyration sensor? Yep, most likely gyration. Hmm. Um, there was another question there. I heard a big gasp. Oh, I was just thinking, how long is the battery going to last? Uh, battery lasts quite a long time. I have yet to replace them. They are user replaceable batteries, and uh, Ooh. yep, yep, standard size batteries. I believe they're the CR twenty thirty two batteries, the like the standard sort of watch battery type things uh, that we've got all over the place, uh, and they are user removable, uh, user replaceable. Okay, so um, when uh, so it will do effectively how we can detect that bl- these devices are in the environment. The easy way is that they use Bluetooth Low Energy to advertise their presence. Hey, I'm an AirTag and I'm here. If you observe me, report my location to the Find My Network. So when you are near, uh, it gives you a connection interval of one second, and when you are further away, it does its advertisements every two seconds. So lots of advertisements with uh, Bluetooth Low Energy. What's the naming convention? Is it named literally like AirTag serial number? Or? Well, we'll talk about that. I'm oh, sorry. No, no worries. No worries. Great question. So the RF technology that we've got used here uh, in use here through the various chipset, we've got Bluetooth Low Energy effectively, in this case, Bluetooth 5.1, um, okay. which does its local notification of presence, presence. Hey, I'm here be received by another Bluetooth device, in this case an iPhone or a Mac, to report it to the Find My Network. And it will do two different types of advertisements. One, when it's brand new and unpaired to a Find My Network account. And a registered advertisement. Hey, I belong to someone, and based on the data that I'm spitting out every one to two seconds, uh, is different than an unregistered one. So we have the ability to determine an unregistered versus a registered uh, AirTag. Uh, also, we have uh, the ability to do near-field communication. So we could take our phone and we could put it near Android 2, and we can read one of these devices um, for both unregistered and registered URLs. It will give us a URL so that we could tie that to a particular person in the attempt to replace or uh, return that lost wallet or set of keys or dog to its rightful owner. Uh, and then finally, uh, ultra wideband or UWB um, is used for some pre- precision um, location finding and distance detection. There's still a lot of research to be done under UW, uh, UWB. All right, the NFC part can be used by anyone who discovers uh, an AirTag to scan. Paul, I could give you this one right now. I could give you that one right now. You could scan it with your uh, Android device, and it should tell you some information. It should give you a URL. Uh, that goes to Apple where you can say, hey, I found this device. 
Can you tell me maybe who I need to return it to? This one says backpack on it. Yep, so. that's the one that goes in my backpack. Oh, okay. So um, I'm not going to, you don't get to keep it. No. Right. <laughs> um, so that NFC read gives you a URL, and that URL gives uh, an ID at Apple's website to be able to return that lost object. It effectively is acting as a MyFair Plus, uh, so fairly common standard uh, within the MyFair sets of uh, NFC stuff. So uh, NFC is based on uh, ISO 14443, uh, which then has, you know, it's, it's layers upon layers. RFID, then, um, you know, MyFair protocol, then, um, then uh, the individual NFC stuff within MyFair. So we've got some examples of those two different URLs for registered and unregistered and uh, a bunch of decoding about what those particular items include. Uh, including the product ID, the battery level, um, some versions, and the individual device address, the serial number, um, the Bluetooth version, and a variable uh, public identity with the PI flag. The fun mm. part is, is you can start taking that URL um, and start populating it with the individual um, serial number. And you can uh, walk through all of Apple's AirTags by incrementing the URL. But you might be able to go to prison for that. Just ask Andrew Armhire. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Uh, so uh, another technology, uh, UWB, you notice I've changed the order in here that we're leaving Bluetooth Low Energy to the end. Um, UWB uh, in Apple's U1 chipset uh, uses five channels in the 6.5 gigahertz. Uh, sorry, it uses channels 5 and 9 in the 6.5 gigahertz and 8 gigahertz ranges using mm. uh, BPSK with a single antenna for uh, measuring distance and not direction. So in this case, measuring distance about how far away you are as opposed to using Bluetooth low energy with the angle of arrival and the angle of departure with Bluetooth 5.1. Right. So I'm, I'm thinking one ping only, Vasily. Yes, <laughs> and give me one ping only. Yeah, so with UWB in this particular case, there's still a lot of research uh, going into uh, the UWB stuff. Where a lot of the research has been focused is on the Bluetooth low energy side because Bluetooth is incredibly more simple, has been a simplified implementation of the Bluetooth Classic. So Bluetooth uh, 1 and Bluetooth 2. Uh, so Bluetooth 4 and Bluetooth 5 mostly classified as Bluetooth Low Energy. Um, they have a much more simplified channel hopping mechanism uh, that they are static and they are known channel hopping. Uh, unlike Bluetooth Classic, it was pseudo-random based on some some information that you had to discover as a secret. In, uh, in advertising mode, which was limited, this has a simple set that is uh, known if you observe a Bluetooth Low Energy um, packet on a specific channel, you know where the next one is, mod 37. Okay. Um, they, instead of using 79 channels in Bluetooth Classic, Bluetooth Low Energy uses 40 channels. Um, 37 of them for data and three of them for advertisements. So in this case, Bluetooth Low Energy is going to be for the AirTags is going to be using those three advertising channels with a little beacon. Hey, I'm here. I have this individual data in those beacons. And those advertisements are always available and continuous on all three of those advertising channels. Paul, you remember when we had to pair Bluetooth Classic devices to our laptops or our phones? You had to put them into... Mm -hmm. Pairing mode. Or pairing mode yeah. or discoverable mode. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 
No longer. Bluetooth Low Energy is always in discoverable mode, and it's always saying it's here on those three channels. Larry, can, can I back you up a step? Yeah. I'm always angry. Always angry. Um, so with the registered and unregistered URLs mm-hmm. <clears throat> and the ability to grab a URL from a nearby AirTag, mm-hmm. if I have a car driving by, and if you're going towards this, let me know and I'll mm-hmm. shut up. But if I have a car driving by and I want to know who's in the car and there's an air tag in the car, can mm-hmm. I check that URL and see how to return it to them and then know who's in the car? Uh, does that make sense what I'm saying? It, it does make sense what you're saying. Uh, however, um, common NFC read range is uh, three to five centimeters. Yeah, I've seen people build bigger. Me too. It's hard. Me too. Oh, definitely. Uh, and I, I can I can cite examples with uh, Kristen Paget. Uh, building RFID readers that were she was driving down the street with the stuff powered in the backseat of her car and was reading RFID based badges um, from the sidewalk effectively driving down the street while in the lob the RFID tags in the lobbies of buildings so right. yeah it is it is largely conceivable that this could <laughs> could happen but it does require because you said NFC but you also said my fair plus yep. so it is our it, it, can you get that URL from the from the RFID yeah, as so well as the NFC? RFID and NFC, same ultimate technology. Uh, then I can do it from 100 feet away. Yeah. And NFC is all about the data formatting and less about the technology. So uh, with uh, with RFID and um, the, the MyFair standards and so forth, uh, NFC is really only giving us a way to accurately format the data so that it can be read across multiple manufacturers. So what I'm hearing is that Dragorn is going to be building this into Kismet. <laughs> So that I can tell which AirTag is going by, and and Handorf will build it into Soho Sigint, so that we can tell which AirTag is going by the house. That'd be awesome. What, do, do you know what I'm saying? Am I, I, am, I am I hallucinating, or does this nope. make sense? No, nope. I love it. I love it, and I'll give them I'll give them a jump start on how they can potentially find some of this stuff. So let's take a look at some of those advertisements. Mm-hmm. So, oh, hell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hell. Yeah, exactly. So uh, within that, within those uh, Bluetooth low energy advertisements, there's an indicator that, yep, I'm an AirTag. And then there are some data about the individual AirTag. Uh, and some of those have some fixed values and some of them are, are variable. Okay. Uh, so specifically, we've got the advertisement length, the advertisement type, the company ID, the payload type, the payload length, and some unknown data that is yet to be discovered. Uh, and all of those particular portions um, in this unregistered AirTag have a specific format, 1EFF004C0719. And then some vari- 25 bytes of variable data, which likely indicate, and this is Bluetooth low energy as opposed to NFC. Uh, when that variable data likely indicates the individual AirTag. But we're still, as a community, we're still figuring that out. On a registered AirTag advertisement, the data is encrypted with an elliptic curve cryptography uh, key, uh, specifically uh, ECC uh, P224, uh, which has a public key which changes daily at 4 a.m. And the packets include the upper two bits of that ECC key, the public of uh, the private key, the public key, and a counter which updates every 15 minutes. And they advertise um, on the register t- side every 2,000 milliseconds, aka two seconds. Okay. 
So again, advertising length, advertising type, company ID, payload type, payload length. That is all very similar. Uh, 1EFF004C. 112 in hex, uh, 12 is a find my network broadcast, and then uh, 19 indicates the payload length uh, for the remaining of a status, the public key, the upper two bits of the private key, um, and an uh, counter. So that public key, sorry, that public key is what is identifying each one of these devices uniquely, and that changes every day at 4 a.m. So how do we start finding these things based on some things that we know about Bluetooth Low Energy Beacons and AirTags and their identification? iOS is trivial, right? They've got the built-in tools for that, given the ecosystem that kind of makes sense. The apps for Android exist but aren't likely real-time. You have to remember to start the app. They have to run in the background. People may shut them off because it's chewing up their battery and so forth. And Linux detection is non-existent until sort of now. But we can mm-hmm. cobble a bunch of stuff together with the uh, Linux Blues utilities. Mm-hmm. So AirTag detection under Linux using HCI dump with a uh, compatible Bluetooth adapter. And I happen to be using the one that we use from the 617 class, one of my favorite, the Pirani Sena UD100. I don't get any money from these, but mm. any Bluetooth low energy compatible adapter could be used for this. And in fact, I actually had some issues with this on our next step. Um, not the detection, the creation. So um, I I need to actually just try another Bluetooth adapter on some of that. So uh, effectively, all we need to do is do an HCI dump, which takes all the Bluetooth low energy packets that it can observe on those advertising channels, and we can then pipe that to grep, looking for specific strings within that output, and then we can find individual either registered or unregistered air tags. Is that dongle only Bluetooth Low Energy or also other Bluetooth it is, classes? These well? are Bluetooth Classic, mm-hmm. I believe, Amp, and Low Energy to Bluetooth 4.2. Mm-hmm. So Bluetooth 1 of its varieties, Bluetooth 2 of its varieties, I think Bluetooth 3, which is Bluetooth Amp, and Bluetooth 4.x. It mm-hmm. will not do Bluetooth 5.1, Five. Right, okay. which has some additional features. Arguably... Go ahead, Does Pat. it allow trans- transmission as well? Like, is this something that you could leverage in, say, denial of service or flood a network with unregistered or malformed Bluetooth low energy packets of the same variety? Stand by. <laughs> <laughs> Stand by. Uh, so, yeah, absolutely. We can use HCI tool. We can run it through grep and all that type of stuff. Or we could automate this with um, a tool called AirTagScan.sh. And don't worry, I'll tell you where we can find that. Uh, and in this case, we've got an example on this slide of running AirTag scan.sh, which is effectively running uh, an HCI dump command looking for uh, a doing regex on both these registered and unregistered mm-hmm. uh, AirTag strings uh, and then spitting out the data when it finds it. And in this case, I've colorized uh, the portions of the AirTag based on um, that, uh, that search uh, matching those particular portions. All right. What about standing up one to do some simulation so that we could potentially flood some networks, Tyler, or, you know, overload and all that type of stuff? Um, Absolutely. We can use that, do that with standard blues utilities um, with HCI tool for setting uh, up, down status and uh, enabling Bluetooth low energy. Uh, sorry, mm-hmm. HCI configured that. And then HCI tool to do a bunch of commands to set the actual advertisements and then start sending the advertisements and its individual data. So we're manipulating it 
the advertisement data manually by defining the specific Bluetooth low energy uh, command codes and the hex that we want to send. So we've got but a couple gee, like, of you know, that's like really hard to tie. <laughs> Don't worry. Don't worry. La- Larry, yeah. Larry, I've got a question for you. Yeah. It's another interesting one. If, uh, if you clone an Apple AirTag, one that you own, because it's, we're doing this legally, yep. and your AirTag is at home and you're cloning it at the studio, just for examples, um, will your phone tell you that your AirTag is away from you? Do you know what I'm saying? I do. I do. And I think that is an area left to experimentation because you cannot technically clone an AirTag because in order to derive that public ECC key, you need the private key. key. And only two Mm -hmm. bytes of that public key, if I remember correctly, are sent in the air. Yeah, the private key are sent in the air. And I think it's the private key. So in, or, you, in order to do that, you have to engage in some hardware hacking and the portions where the private key on those devices are code protected. Now we start getting into some voltage glitching attack to recover them. Well, you'd have to pull it off the You'd have to effectively, chip. You're, you're largely destroying your AirTag to clone it. But wait, we'll, we'll, we'll mm, talk, yeah. we will talk about that just a little bit. And I know we're getting- They're $89 on Amazon for a four pack right now. Oh, so I mean, you know, come on. Worth it. So here we've got a couple of commands to be able to uh, set the radio up to be doing low to, uh, low energy advertisement, setting the Bluetooth adder, uh, the Bluetooth address effectively a MAC address, and the specific AirTag commands to generate AirTag advertisements. And some notes down on the bottom here. Now I have, in this particular case, I know the uh, private key, uh, the elliptic curve cryptography private key. Why? because I used another project to create a fake AirTag so that I could create these commands, and we'll show you that. Now, also with that, we could automate this process with AirTagCreate.sh, and we can have it create an AirTag in either unregistered or registered format because those headers change a little bit. So it's effectively taking these commands and running it several times. So, so wait, uh, they in the research community understands enough to be able to create a new AirTag. Correct. Not impersonate another one because of the cryptography from what you've described a, so far. A little far. bit, a little yeah, bit. Okay. So that really gets into our, our going further slide. Um, effectively with the Blues Utilities and the AirTag scan and the AirTag create, you know, we're giving you the heavy lifting to figure out what you need to do to be able to detect and create. Mm-hmm. It's not a massive detection network. It's not super crazy. The creation of AirTags uses a fixed set of keys, and it doesn't do that 4 a.m. rotation Mm -hmm. and any of those types of things. It's it's fixed. And it's a shell script, so you can put your own stuff in there. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways in which I generated my own AirTag so that I knew what those keys were, so I had those values, and I've since deleted it, is I used a tool called OpenHaystack. And OpenHaystack is macOS only and modern versions of macOS, which implements a free and open source implementation from Simu Labs to add your own stuff to the Apple's Find My Network. Including the ability to register your own AirTag with the Find My Network, you get the keys and then you can take those keys and you can put it on a Linux distribution such as a Raspberry Pi or a Pi Zero W, or you can even program other similar types of Nordic chipsets that are can be powered with a twenty uh, uh, the CR twenty three hundred two batteries. 
So you can make your own small devices for tracking that will and register with the with Find My network. With this project, get those registered in the Apple Find My yes. network. Which yes. Is interesting that Apple would allow that. Yep. Well, because someone's gone and reversed engineered the API that allows those to be registered and mm-hmm. so forth. Now, with um, the open haystack stuff currently, they do not have the key rotation for some of that happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a static key and it never changes. So this provides some opportunity for, you know, we talked about that 24-hour stocking period mm-hmm. and then the keys change and then you might lose that ability. Mm-hmm. These do not. These do not do that key rotation. So you can hang, can potentially do that with your own device with, say, an NRF51 or an ESP32 small development type board mm-hmm. and not lose that ability after 24 hours. Mm. Huh. The other one that, you know, uh, Josh and Tyler, where you were sort of getting to, and maybe <laughs> even you were, uh, last week, may, end of the week before, uh, there was some additional research uh, released from Simu Labs, the authors of Open Haystack, uh, that they were actually able to make actual clones by unlocking the portion of the, the memory on an AirTag using a voltage glitching attack recover the private keys and then unlock the entirety of the firmware, dump the firmware mm-hmm. and then reprogram that to a new air tag using a voltage glitching attack to unlock those protected portions of memory and write the whole thing back. Mm-hmm. And they did that by voltage glitch, dump. Hey Paul, here's your file. Here's my file. Clone that to an air tag 800 miles away. And it showed up on find my network 800 miles away. Now, Josh, to the question so, you so, asked, I don't yeah, exactly. I don't know. So I've I got the AirTag right here in front of me, and then there's the exact clone 800 miles away. Yep. What happens? I don't know. Mm. I don't know. Oh, come on, it's mm-hmm. got. You got to do it. You got to do it. You know, you got to got to try it. Absolutely, absolutely. Definitely. Now, the the Simu Labs folks may have actually indicated what happened, um, but I'm not positive in their paper. There's a link to the paper on the slides, and we'll make sure these slides are uh, available as well. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. So. so uh, I tweeted at you and Russ and uh, Dragorn and Russ is already yeah okay never mind so hi Russ if you're watching that, that means the there's no authentication to connect to the Apple Find My Network then I don't believe yeah you know you're not, saying that and I yeah. I think you're right there's nothing that prevent the the cryptography essentially prevents the cloning of the tags. Yep, but but populating not joining of the network. yeah not joining of the the network. So, and I didn't dig into it about the joining of the network, but there's some interesting things when you go and install Open Haystack. Mm-hmm. In that, when you install Open Haystack, there was the one of the Apple guardians, the security things that you had to disable. So that you could install an unsigned Apple Mail extension. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Apple Mail extension allowed you access to some specific function calls that effectively allowed you to populate the Find My Network. Mm, so I think there was some so authentication. Maybe Okay, so only from an Apple device. Right. They can make those... Yes, and, allow, you know, and allowing those unsigned uh, uh, Apple Mail, excuse me, extensions. Mm-hmm. Now... There's some talk in some of the bug reports and so forth that are saying along the lines of uh, there's a new method for being able to do this. Uh, you don't need to do this whole Apple Mail, you know, uh, mm. you know, shell game and so forth. But uh, it's there's still open tickets uh, for them to, to implement that type of stuff. Yeah. All right. So to wrap us up, 
Yay! New tools, right? We've got some new capability through using the Blues utilities, and we've got AirTag Scan and AirTag Create, which I put in my um, GitHub <laughs> repository. Uh, so uh, pull requests are happily accepted. Um, I very much pulled the Josh Wright uh, approach to tool development on this one. I got the tool as far as I needed to to make it do the things that I wanted it to. If you want more, Build it. Build it. Like, uh, I provide the base for you. Like, please, take this and run with it. This is, uh, these are ideas about you know, a bunch of things that I've researched, and I implemented them a little bit differently so that folks could help to understand and build this. Make this something that is distributable so that we can put this on a whole bunch of other stuff and, you know, build our own detection network and add this to your access points in your environment that have Bluetooth so that you can find air tags in your enterprise environment. Like, you now have the understanding how to make this work. And you know mm. how to build one that you can actually test that your detection is working. Do you, Does the AirTags update their own firmware or is there a way to update firmware? Uh, so <clears throat> there should be a way to update firmware. I don't know what the update process is currently. I didn't look into that particular portion. Um, but that is part of the benefit of using Bluetooth 5.1. Mm -hmm. um, in that Bluetooth 5.1 has um, some significantly larger packet lengths and can do packet chaining, effectively fragmentation, so that it's much easier to deliver um, uh, a software update OTA over the air. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> Whereas but Bluetooth, there, there Bluetooth 4 a, and less, the packets were significantly smaller. But there must be a key or something that validate that is used to, for validation of that firmware update, I would imagine. I mean... <laughs> you and I have been doing the IoT thing long enough that there should be, right? Yeah. Again, that's so, some that's an area for research that is still uh well if you think about that, those researchers took a dump of the memory and they put it on a different device. Right, but if that key is in that the firmware, firmware somewhere. Yep. Right. That, that's how they did it yeah. with uh Intel ME. Yep. Is each module within the Intel ME's firmware is signed. And so since the whole thing wasn't signed as a whole you can pluck off like i don't want this functionality yep. and when i put together a smaller image it's still valid because those signatures are valid i removed right. the modules that also had the signatures and i ripped those i ripped yep. those out yep. also kind of remind me of microcode updates as well which are mm -hmm. not just anyone can go update the microcode on your cpu there's keys involved well, right yeah right so you had a couple of legit questions in uh in the chat on Discord. Sorry, I missed um, those. I apologize. That's okay. So the uh, aside from a comment that it looks like the 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 code changes at uh, zero hour universal time. Um, yep. Makes so sense. The, Four a.m. my yeah, time, so, right? You know, the one is are are air tags fundamentally different from other similar devices such as Tile? Are the weaknesses and other things similar across most of these things of this type? Or is it just that AirTags are part of the whole every iPhone looks for them network and thus getting more research and no one cares about the other ones? I think probably the latter. I, well, so I think probably all of those things. I, pro I suspect that similar types of failures exist in all of them. And given the dominance in the mobile phone market, I'm not surprised that Apple uh, took significant more heat uh, for this, especially where they leverage all of these other devices. Um, uh, arguably, there are some similar types of failures in that if I don't have the Tile app on my iPhone, 
I don't know that someone dropped the tile in my backpack. Yeah. So and no, except, oh, except that it would be much heavier. Oh, <laughs> true. Also, <laughs> also, by not having the tile app on my phone, it's also not communicating my phone to use my phone to report its location automatically. You'd have to find some other yeah. way to do that. And I haven't dug into tile enough to know how some of that application is is doing. I think the adoption of some of the the ubiquity of Apple devices and with some of that technology about sort of always being on really makes this more of a threat and a more active target. Yeah. So great question yeah. from uh, from Discord and others. So, yeah, that was Dimitri, by the way. I'm not surprised. Awesome. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna throw something in here because Tile is not as widely used. It could give somebody who has a, ra- a, a, a raised threat profile mm-hmm. uh, actually uh, unreasonable confidence. Well, my mm-hmm. iPhone isn't telling me that there's air tags around me. That's because it's not an air tag. I'm using a tile. Mm. And so is, is that security is that's not security through obscurity. That's cybercrime through obscurity. Hmm. But then the, mm. then again, not having researched tile enough, how does tile know to tell the its owner where it is? If it's, oh, because uh, Tile is registered. I used to use them, actually, okay. in my wallet. Uh, Tile is registered to you, your, your phone, your handset, your mm-hmm. whatever. Yep. And uh, anybody running Tile, it's always searching for Tile. Right. You have to give it permissions gotcha. to, to search. And it's always searching for Tiles in the area, and it reports back. Gotcha. So you have to be running Tile. Someone else near the victim needs to be running Tile. There's and, a lot of people that run Tile. And you have to give it the ability to search for Tiles. Which is probably what makes sense. You have to. Right. To install the app, you have to, I believe. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's all I've got. So, going back to my wife, AirTag the dogs, and they beep yep. a lot. <laughs> yep. But that it hasn't been 24 hours since my wife's phone has been near the tags. Right. Why do they beep? I don't know. Because, see, that's oh. the same thing. Like, the, the one that's backpack yeah. sits in my backpack in the front hallway. And my phone is in my office less than 25 feet away from my backpack in the hallway. Mm. Yet today, when I went to go grab this out of my backpack, I picked up my backpack and it went bleep, 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 Because there was movement. Because there was movement and it hasn't contacted my phone in three days. Mm. They're 25 Mm. feet away. Well, Larry, you do know that in wireless, I know you don't know wireless, but in wireless... Uh, sometimes walls can get in the way of the transmission of wireless signals. True. I, I recognize it's unfamiliar to you, sir. True. Agreed. But these are <laughs> a high enough frequency they should be able to get through walls without yep. too much Just trouble, like Wi-Fi. Right? Now, admittedly, they're probably lower power devices given the size and the battery capacity, yeah, okay. so high, lower output power. But to make note, these things are broadcasting registered every two seconds. Yeah. You I, should have walked by it with your phone at some point during that time. I walked, I walked up to my backpack with the phone in my pocket, and it took me two seconds to get there. Were you wearing lead pants, by the way? <laughs> I was wondering if you still had the tinfoil liner in the backpack. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the lead underwear. Arm shielding <laughs> yeah, arm pants shielding. or arm shielding bag? Or, yep. yeah. but, but, of course, oh, no, it, go ahead, Tyler. No, I was just going to say, like, these... These kind of networks and this kind of technology and, and communication is what excites me and scares me at the same time. Mm-hmm. You start to think about the fact that we are leveraging a mass scale mesh network in order to communicate back to a central location. Like 
now I'm thinking about like from a C2 standpoint, can I bundle this up in Bluetooth Low Energy and NFC, have this pass uh, from a mobile phone to another mobile phone in the area, jump to a computer that is reporting on the same, you know, find my network. Like these are the networks that enable, you know, large scale botnets and C2 and highly covert channels. So like we really have to kind of think about the security of how this impacts us in the long term, I think. I, I'm going to argue with you slightly. It's uh, I agree with you, by the way, but I'm going to argue with you slightly. It's not a mesh network because they're not talking to each other. They're reporting back to a centralized uh, command and control. But they are. They are talking to each other. Someone else is uh, taking that data, passing it from one to the next and to the no, next. No, 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 The actual My, tags aren't, like, I think, not tile, but tracker. Oh, the, mm -hmm. I think the tags talk to each other and create yes, a mesh. but with the air tags, but with the air tags, if, if, let's say it's your tag, Tyler, okay? And you leave it behind and my iPhone picks up that your tag is here. And it goes, mm -hmm. oh, it's far, it's far away from Tyler. I need to report back. It reports back to Apple. It doesn't report back to your phone. Mm. Okay. Correct. And then your phone sees a so so it's a it's a point to multi point, not really a not really a mesh. I, I, I'm I'm being pedantic, but whatever. Um, no, you're, but the I mean, big you're thing right. is, this is a botnet. This yeah. is exactly a botnet. This is using phones or devices mm. of some sort for something that the owner of that device does not want or does not uh, has not explicitly given permission for. And, you know, Larry's right. It's in the fine print somewhere in the iCloud 75 page EULA that took you less than three seconds to click through. Took it that long? But it is it is literally a botnet. Is it not, Larry? Yeah, well, I mean, mm -hmm. what happens Possibly. when we can leverage the, the iOS or manipulate this find my traffic uh, BLE protocol to have it point to, say, a different C2 server? Like there's. Oh, no, there's absolutely. A, absolutely. This is a built in botnet. Or, yeah. or we use the extended advertising that are unused within some of that portion. Maybe not even have it be valid, valid IDs or registered data so that we can point it to a bunch of air tags that have defined data. Or how can we use this for data exfiltration and, and so forth? Data exfil all day. Yeah. Yep. Hence why we talk about scanning for these damn air tags in your environment using a simple shell script that now you guys should go build something on. Don't, what don't, if the AirTag could had a little tiny bit of storage on it and could track all the MAC addresses and Wi-Fi addresses that it saw as you left it in a Dropbox at a, at a Target? Or maybe there's already that data with ad tracking IDs tied to your MEID that <laughs> binds Wi-Fi and is stored in a mass database for you know consumer mm. advertising companies to leverage. 100%. 100%. Awesome. Fantastic. Larry, thank you so much. That You're was welcome. awesome. You're welcome. With that, we'll take a short break and come back with the security news. Stay tuned. <laughs> 